in our ongoing effort in prayer and in wanting to be faithful to the Lord in what these gatherings actually mean and where they're supposed to fit and get traction in the overall consideration of our church and church family, uh, we realize that we are one church that is represented in many houses. So one church that is represented in many houses. Uh, You could say we are a church and a collection of churches. Um, A church, meaning the individual experience of the house churches, are not completely autonomous, uh, meaning that they are severed or disconnected from the idea of a bigger or uh, more collected whole, Uh, but that each of what is the house church and churches, as we call them, uh, because they are churches, Um, Biblically, they are churches. Uh, They are smaller family units um, prevailing in cultivating a spirit-empowered life of discipleship and mission. Um, That that is the ongoing goal for these house churches, is spirit-empowered life for discipleship and mission, um, the cultivation of a smaller family unit. Um, And it is important. Uh, It is important for us to relate to a smaller group uh, on a more consistent basis, to have to come through the crucible of relationship and circumstance in order to establish history and integrity in God together as family. Um, You can't do that when you are um, two miles wide and three inches deep with everybody. Uh, You just don't get the necessary points of contact in order to bring development on our own lives and then you don't get to experience the relational or circumstantial uh, ups and downs that are intended to develop us in God together as the people of God. Um, And so these smaller family units, uh, we are very aware that what we're doing, we're doing it on purpose. Uh, We we didn't arrive at this conclusion on accident. Uh, It was very intentional. And as we've said previously and even over the history of what we're doing, Um, What we are doing was birthed out of obedience and not out of offense, right? Oftentimes, uh, people who are in house churches, missional communities, organic fellowships, uh, whatever language you want to apply to a variety of ways that these um, experiences and movements get going, a lot of times they're birthed out of offenses and not out of obedience, Um, You have people that didn't feel valued in the bigger thing, or you have people that felt unseen, or, you know, their gift wasn't appreciated, or, you know, whatever, on and on and on. Uh, The million umpteenth reasons that people have to be offended and then to go off and start their own thing. Um, That's not what happened. It started out of obedience. And so in a jealousy to be faithful to the Lord, um, we take these gatherings, meaning these corporate meetings, these all-together gatherings, uh, we, we take them very seriously before the Lord and the consideration of God's unique and intended purpose to fulfill or to accomplish each time we gather like this. Um, we don't gather like this as infrequent as we do because we don't enjoy these experiences. Um, there have been times where the Lord has asked us to gather more frequently this way, and we do that with joy, uh, but it's to get traction in the houses and in what we're cultivating together as family in those smaller family-styled units where, again, it's empowered or spirit-empowered life to cultivate discipleship and mission. 
Um, and so in that, we're going to have the different leaders of those house churches come up and share. And as we were kind of talking and praying through as we do on a regular basis, um, we felt, uh, again, from the Lord, which is important, um, that it would be good for us to answer a few questions in front of or in a corporate way. Um, and so we're going to do that. We're going to answer three questions. It's not going to be like some Q&A session, uh, right, or some karaoke question session where we just field random questions out of the crowd. Uh, I'm going to present the question and then answer it. Um, and so I'm going to start, uh, and then Frankie is going to come up, and then Steve will come up. Uh, and we'll just see what the Lord does in a way to bring it all together and kind of close out our time together. Um, I'm going to answer the question, what is a leader? Um, what is a leader? Uh, and I'm going to attempt to answer the question. Um, now, granted, being that you know, we're going to have three people share. The goal is 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, somewhere in there each. It's the goal. You know what I mean? Everybody needs a goal, right? You've got to have a target, right? There's got to be some kind of all right, bullseye, at least that you can see, right? Even if you... Uh, anyways, uh, so I'm going to answer the question, what is a leader? And I'm going to attempt to answer it, uh, what is a leader biblically? Why is it important or necessary? And how does it function or get fleshed out in our church work or in our context? Um, what is a leader, right? Leadership and the idea scripturally. Uh, because it's important that we define the terms so that we can all rally around the same ideas or concepts and aspire towards the same things together in God. Uh, oftentimes when you have misunderstanding, it's because you are defining terms differently and arriving at different conclusions even though the verbiage is the same. Right? I've used the example before uh, in a corporate gathering like this. It's like saying, well, I go to the gym. Well, that's cool. I go to the gym too. You may mean you go to a Pilates class while I mean I go to Orange Theory, or you go to uh, a Globo gym or a traditional, you know, like, um, whatever, I don't even know the names anymore, but uh, whatever a bigger traditional gym is or someone else is going to hot yoga, uh, right? Like, we define the terms differently, and so there's a disconnect in us using the same language but not necessarily being able to work together towards the same conclusion. And so oftentimes there's misunderstanding because we are not connecting through the language or the verbiage. And so it's important that we define the terms, especially in an ongoing way as we're asking the Lord to raise up leaders or to possibly send and plant leaders for his jealousy in our church work and in our city. When we say, Lord, raise up leaders or send leaders, what are we actually asking for? Right? And so it's important, right? If we have a jealousy in the place of prayer, Lord, raise up leaders, right? Like raise up people from among us, touch them with power and by your spirit, do a transformational work in them that they rise in the work in the place of stature and influence in order to be what we are going to qualify here in a moment as a leader. And it's important that we use the scriptures to do that because there's a lot of different experiences 
And there's a lot of ways that we have been conditioned over time in order to arrive at different conclusions as to what a leader or leadership actually means. Um, historically, maybe we're familiar with leadership being a unique ability or contribution towards a church effort or system or environment. Uh, maybe a leader in terms of how we've been conditioned is someone who contributed in a church environment, in a church system, or in a church work or effort. Uh, what does that look like? Maybe you were considered a leader because you led worship. Uh, maybe you were considered a leader because you led prayer. Maybe you were considered a leader because uh, the microphone was utilized by you. Uh, maybe you were considered a leader, right? There, there's a variety of ways. Um, a, a funny church term for me uh, is uh, the finance pastor. That's, that's a funny term for me, um, which we'll get to that. To, to imagine that, that I pastor finance reports and that I oversee budgets and that I'm responsible for, uh, right, like the nickels and dimes of the organization and that I'm accountable for what happens with, you know, spreadsheets and money and on and on. Um, as, as we're going to look at biblically, right, the scripture intends for that term pastor to be used because it's only found in one or two translations. The term that's way more familiar and way more present is shepherd. Um, pastor at times can be something that we've experienced organizationally, but the Bible takes what we know positionally and works it out relationally. Right? The Bible takes what we know positionally. Think, everything that God is, all of what he attributes to himself positionally, he experientially relates to us or he wields it relationally. Um, it is not politically where they can be the creation of terms and platforms, yet a disconnect from a relational connection or investment in real people. Right? And this is kind of the way that we're going to create the terms is if you use the scriptures, a leader is someone that has given an, an, an evidence of a transformed life. Now, first off, no believer is exempt from a transformed life. So we're not going to say that leaders are the only ones that are held to the account of a transformed life because the expectation is that all that are born again to all that are in Christ, that they are now a new creature or a new creation. And in an ongoing way, it is the work of the Spirit to transform us and to conform us to the image of Jesus. So no believer is exempted from the conversation of a transformed life. What we are saying is that the standard of leadership biblically begins with the evidence of a transformed life. Not the assumption of a transformed life, but the evidence of a transformed life. So biblical leadership would be the evidence of a transformed life and convictions that have been consistent through testing over long periods of time. The evidence of a transformed life and convictions that have been consistent through a long period of time and a variety of seasons and unique relational and circumstantial testing. So when we say, Lord, we need leadership, what we're not saying is we need a content creator. 
What we're not saying is we need someone with a business degree or someone even with a theology degree, right? Someone with a theology degree doesn't necessarily mean you have the evidence of a transformed character. It doesn't mean that you have a witness of convictions that have been consistent and they've been tested over a long period of time, which is why Paul would say in 1 Timothy 3, new believers can't be in leadership because you haven't had a witness of enough life happening to you in order to give the evidence that you are a transformed person and convictions that are established in your life are going to remain consistent through the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows. In more simplistic terms, we need a witness, which is what Jesus prayed for. In Acts chapter 1, he said, I'm going to send the Spirit so that you can receive power to become a witness, because that's what I'm longing for. I'm longing for a people that are going to provide a demonstration or an evidence. This is where leadership begins. Leadership begins with the evidence of a transformed person and the witness of convictions that are consistent through a variety of seasons of life. What that means is, is we need proximity to be able to watch you live before we give you influence. That means we need a vantage point to see how you handle life. We need to see who you are when they talk about you. We need to see who you are when they betray you. We need to see how you handle life. And why is this important? Is because biblically, leaders are people that give an evidence of a transformed character, meaning that they've been born again, and that there's a witness on their life to an actual or a substantial life change. That they were something that they aren't anymore and that they're in process with God. Now, the idea is not perfection, it's process. They're in process with God, but there's an evidence of a transformed reality. There's an evidence of that. There's an evidence of a transformed reality and then the establishment of conviction over time that's been tested. That's been tested, right? Paul would say in 1 Timothy 3, if any man wants to serve, he must first be tested. He's not talking about some weird like maroon, uh, marine or military boot camp experience. And he's not talking about in trivial ways, uh, just manipulatively treating people weird, trying to test them to see if they qualify for your terms of leadership. He's talking about watch them live. Watch them live. And let time pass by, which is why they can't be a new believer. They can't be a new convert, lest they fall into the same temptation of the devil. Let time pass by. See who they are when they're winning. You realize the New Testament has a lot to say about the love of money. See who they are when they're winning. See what incentivizes them. See what motivates them. See the framework with which they live their life by. See what easily gets them to compromise or to step aside on the things of God. That's where convictions have to remain consistent through a variety of seasons in order to qualify biblically to be an influence in God's house. It's not just people with a dynamic character. It's not just people who fit the demographic of who we're trying to reach. It's not just people who are willing to show up. They're willing, right? In most cases, uh, we've experienced or seen leadership through people that were willing. Well, I was willing to go. I was willing to do. I was willing to preach, 
right? But that's because in certain cases, people value doing more than they did being. And they let you do something which created a platform or an influence or possibly even a titling upon your life that your actual transformation or the embodiment of the conforming to the image of Jesus didn't actually line up to qualify biblically with you influencing people the way that you did. And it doesn't mean that like we just trash everything that's happened. No, it means that we want to purify the definitions. It means that we want to more acutely and accurately understand the terms of what the scriptures are prescribing for life together in God and in God's house. And Paul says that leadership looks like a transformed person. An evidence or a witness of a transformed person who has consistent convictions. We need to see who we are when we're winning and when we're losing. We need to see through the ups and downs, through the woes and the celebrations, if our convictions are actual anchored convictions or if they're just conveniences based off of our circumstances. We need to see if our life has actually become an influential resource to aligning people to God and his purposes. And that requires a particular life cycle of being tested, which is where Paul says, if any man desires to serve in that capacity, to relationally influence people, biblical leadership is relational influence. It's relational influence. But one of the tragedies um, is when we define our influence, or our connection to a church work based off of our contribution to that church or church work. Where I'm connected to the platform and a worship experience, but disconnected from the idea of influencing people in a relational way, in an ongoing way. But yet I'm termed as a pastor. Right, But where the Bible actually qualifies a relational influence that's necessary for that titling of shepherd or leader in that capacity where there must be a relational proximity there must be a relational investment there must be a relational exposure in order for those that are determined or qualified as leaders in order for their influence to be real in a relational way in a church or church work um, the writer of Hebrews suggests that leadership, the ones that watch over you, in Hebrews uh, 13, I believe it is, he says, they are accountable to God for you. He says, so don't make it challenging for them in their ability to actually be faithful to the Lord. But, but yeah, and, and as funny as that is, that there's an accountability to the Lord. Right? James would suggest that not many of you desire to be teachers or influences or examples because there will be a more strict judgment. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. There was the idea of a relational proximity in order for a life that has been established in God and the quality of life that has been established in God to become a resource or an influence in the midst of a people. That is the idea. Where a transformed life with the evidence 
and witness of consistent conviction and character becomes a resource in a church community or in the house of God. And so it's important to qualify what we mean when we say leader. Because we're not qualifying leadership based off of unique contributions. Right? As historically it may have been. Um, what, what does that actually mean? That, that means you can lead in the place of worship and not necessarily be considered a part of the church leadership. And I, I don't know why the two would have to mean the same thing. You can lead a prayer set in the prayer room and not necessarily be considered a part of the church leadership. And I don't know why the two would have to be the same thing. Right? We, we want to purify the definition so that we can be jealous for what it is that God is going to do in our midst to establish that or to raise up others who would actually embody that. And it's important to actually define the term. So we are not defining it by unique contributions. We want everyone to serve and to contribute. We want everyone to do what they're called to do and to function the way that they're supposed to function. But functioning does not actually have anything to do with the idea of leadership, right? Leadership, biblically, is the idea, again, of even what Peter would say. It's the idea of a parental-type influence in God's house. Are we all equal in value? For sure. This has nothing to do with value. It has nothing to do with value. I think at times we, uh, we end up in difficult spaces because we try to make it about things that it's not. It has nothing to do with value. No one's saying that leaders are more valuable than anyone else. Um, it has nothing to do with value. It has everything to do with accountability or responsibility to the Lord. Um, and it is a fact that there are people who bear a different level of responsibility before the Lord. They've been invited into a different measure of accountability and have actually answered that call to put their life in a unique space to become an influence and a resource and, as Peter would suggest, a servant in God's house. Biblical leadership is seen through the lens of servanthood. It's not a top-down structure. Uh, in fact, those that are the greatest, Jesus would say, should become the least. They should become the floor or the foundation upon which God begins to build, which is the idea of Ephesians chapter 4. You turn the whole thing upside down. Gifts and leadership influences take the bottom, and they esteem the saints, and they prioritize the people of God, and they see their life in service to God as a resource to awaken God's purposes and to align God's people to those purposes uniquely in church communities. And so when we consider biblical leadership, we're talking about a parental-style influence in God's house. Interestingly, the term is God's house. And the evaluation is all there. 1 Timothy 3.5. A man must be able to manage his own house. He must be tested before you let him serve. Right? That's the establishment of character. It's the establishment of consistent conviction that gives off a witness and an evidence that your life is able to become a resource and influence others on the journey of life to get aligned to God and to more, uh, more intimately get aligned to God's purposes for your life. 
And it takes real time for these people to be formed. Spiritual formation is absolutely necessary. Spiritual formation, journeying with God and becoming something over a long period of time, obedience in a singular direction over a long period of time is absolutely necessary. As Dave Papavisi exhorted us last August, he said, God's going to raise up powerful people and families from among us. The only way that's going to happen is through spiritual formation. That's the only way it's going to happen. When Samuel was with us a couple of weeks after that, he said that biblically, if you evaluate it, between the window of 35 to 45 is when people typically get commissioned into what their life-defining journey is going to be about. Because it just takes time for God to form people. It just takes time. And so we're asking the Lord to raise up leaders among us. And we acknowledge that in each of the house churches, there is a leadership family that is leading those different house church experiences or uh, helping to cultivate God's purposes um, in those individual house churches as they are. And so we do recognize uh, leaders and we long for God to raise up more leaders um, from our midst, but we want biblical leadership. Right? We want biblical leadership. And you guys. I wish at times there was like a big mirror up this way so that y'all could see what I see. <laughs> like when I'm standing up here. Um, it'd probably be pretty funny to you too if. <laughs> if <laughs> Um, but we do. We, we want biblical leaders, and we want to qualify people for leadership biblically. Right? That, that, that should have been an amazing place to amen. Right? Like, we, we want to qualify people for leadership biblically. Um, and we want to use the scriptures to vet people or to evaluate people. The scriptures. Not our own unique agenda Right? Not some weird tribal or stream-ism where like, you've got to get into our stream. And, and no, no, no. We want to use the scriptures to bring the necessary evaluation on the lives of people and in an ongoing way, even the lives of those that we already acknowledge as leaders. Um, even those that we acknowledge as leaders are not outside of the evaluation of the scripture, but there should be the ongoing evidence in greater measure of what the scripture prescribes. We should be able to see that, right? And so we want to qualify people biblically, and we want in an ongoing way for the Lord to raise up others to do in like fashion. Um, and it is a parental style influence because it is God's house and family. Amen. So I'm going to pray. Lord, we're asking you this afternoon to um, do something among us. Uh, when we say raise up leaders, uh, Lord, we ask you to do what we know is so costly among us. 
I'm so costly. Would you raise up those whose lives will become a pattern? Um, whose lives will become reproducible? Um, they'll become an influence and a resource. Um, not for the world's applause or the world's value system. But Lord, the evidence of a transformed character. Matthew 5 through 7 and Galatians 5. The evidence of consistent convictions, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Lord, would you raise up people from among us that actually embody your desires in the place of character and conviction. People that have been tested. People that give off a witness because the consistency of their life through a variety of life seasons and circumstance causes them to shine. They reveal, they are a demonstration of your desires. Lord, would you do that among us? Um, and would you help us, even in our own lives, to desire and to aspire um, towards what is the biblical prescription and definitions, um, the authenticity of the word at work among us, Lord, we pray. Would you do this in Jesus' name?